Well, today is about growing, and today is about stretching. The Leadership Summit, now the Global Leadership Summit, is not just about becoming a better leader. It's, it's about understanding what God is doing in your life and what he wants to do in your life and what he could do if you were to just say, use me, do something in me and through me. And I get very excited every year about the Leadership Summit because God always shows up in a significant way. He speaks through some of the, the best leaders in the world. And I'm going to tell you about that this morning. What happened over the, the Thursday and Friday Leadership Summit here at Spring Branch and what happened to me. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Note the word everything. Let us throw off, lay aside everything that gets in the way and the sin that so easily entangles. And when you see that word there, sin, think, think this. And the way that we think that gets our lives all wrapped up in who we are and what we're trying to do in life and getting accolades for ourselves and, and gaining status for ourselves rather than understanding that while those things can be good at times, there's something that's so much better. It's knowing that God wants to use you and that God can use you and that God can stretch you into his plan for the world. And let us run. And let us run perseverance, the race marked out for us. In other words, life is a long run. It's long. And you have to keep running and keep running and keep running. And you have to set a pace. Nobody's asking you to get up every day and run a hundred yard dash. What God is saying is with perseverance, the race of your life is marked out. Let's run it. Let's run it well. Let's get everything out of the way that would keep us from becoming who God wants us to become, from doing what God wants us to do. How do you do that? Is, is it just we have to figure that out on our own? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's easy to grow weary and lose heart. That's why it says, don't grow weary and lose heart. You don't have to. One of the themes, I think, that ran through the summit this year was the theme of you might be growing weary you might be getting a little tired. Your spirit might be flagging. You may have been running a long time without getting refueled and refocused. And so let's take this time together to get refueled and refocused at the Global Leadership Summit. And let's do this also as a church. Maybe this morning you're a little tired. Maybe this morning you're a little tired of running the race and, and you're slowing down, and you, you can't see the end of the road 
very well anymore. And you're wondering if running hard and running long is really worth it. And you're, running if, you're wondering if the church really does make a difference in all these things. You're, you're here, but there's still some questions in the back of your mind. Is this going to change me? Is this going to do anything real in my life? Let me tell you what I learned at the Leadership Summit this year. The first thing that I was reminded of, I, I, I knew this, but I needed to be reminded of this. And I think everybody who's in, in at least my generation needs to be reminded of this. We have a great young up and coming generation of young men and women that really want to change the world. And, and we need to, to applaud them and welcome them and encourage them. Let's take a look at one of those up and coming new young leaders. And giving feels amazing. And I, I know that so many people in this audience and around the world, uh, part of this community, that's a part of their everyday life. And it feels really good. It's an amazing feeling to give. Um, but the interesting thing is what I've learned over the last you know, four years with Tom's is that giving not only feels good, but it's also a good business strategy. And that's okay. It's a good life strategy. And, and I've learned this in so many different ways through my journey at Tom's. But as we were talking earlier, one of my favorite ways that I learned this was actually the first time I saw someone wearing a pair of Tom's. I think it was maybe, I don't know, like four months into this, this, whole, this whole journey. And I was in the New York City airport. And it was so funny because I was literally running to catch my flight. Like I was late, I was coming from the gym, and I wasn't wearing Toms. And normally I'm always wearing Toms. So I, I, I get to the American Airlines check-in counter, and I'm doing the electronic check-in, and all of a sudden I look over, and there's this girl, and she's wearing a red pair of Toms. Now, I've never seen anyone wearing Toms. So I, you know, I, I'm excited to my parents and my interns and my friends, you know, but I've never seen a stranger. So I couldn't help myself. I turned to this girl and I say, excuse me, um, I really like those red shoes that you're wearing. You know, what are they? And she kind of looks up at me, and she says, Tom's, Tom's shoes. Now, I'm trying to play it cool, so I'm still doing the check-in, right? I'm not kidding, Darren. She grabs my shoulder. She physically pulls me away from the machine and says, no, you don't understand. This is the most amazing company in the world. She goes, she goes, when I bought this pair of shoes, they gave a pair to a child in Argentina. And there's this guy. He lives in Los Angeles on a sailboat. And I mean, literally, she's telling me my life story, word for word, with like more passion than my mom tells me. <laughs> so, so then the funniest part happens is I, of course, I'm feeling embarrassed and I have to tell her who I am at this point. And I say, uh, excuse me, I said, actually, you know, I'm Blake. I started Tom's. And she looks at me like deer in the headlights. And she goes, why did you cut your hair? <laughs> that was all she said. But, but, but the point of the story, what was so interesting, was that clearly she had watched the videos of us giving shoes on YouTube. And she was that invested in it. She didn't just buy a pair of shoes. She was that invested. And I remember giving her a hug and saying thank you. And I went to my plane and she went to hers. But I remember being on the plane and thinking, you know, that was one girl who thought she was speaking to a stranger at the airport. And if she had that much passion to tell the Tom story to a stranger, 
How many other people had she told? Surely her parents and her friends and her family. And I'm sure she had put something on Facebook and tweeted about it, right? But how many pairs have been sold and how many kids have gotten shoes because of this one girl? Mm. And so that day on the plane, I remember so clearly, I said, you know, to myself, and I wrote in my journal, you know, all we have to do at Tom's is focus on giving. Because if we focus on giving and giving in a sustainable and authentic way, our customers are going to do the marketing for us. And I think that's why we've given over 600,000 pairs of shoes away. Mm. Yeah. So. Really. They've given away over 600,000 pairs of shoes. Here's a young guy, five or six years ago, he's just on a vacation in South America. And he finds out that, that they're collecting used shoes to give away to poor children. And, and he has entrepreneurial gifts. And he thinks, how can we do this better? And he doesn't want to start a nonprofit where he'll have to raise money all the time to do what he feels is, is an important thing to do. He says, I'm going to start a shoe company. And every time I sell a pair of shoes, I'm going to give a pair of shoes away never happened in the history of the shoe business. You talk about Florsheim, you talk about Allen Edmonds, you talk about Cole Haan, you talk about all the different kinds of shoes, Manalo Blahniks, you talk about whatever you want to talk about. You buy a pair of shoes, they give a pair of shoes away. And, and a couple years ago, he had a chance to take some money out of an investment, a business that he had, and he plowed all that money into this business and they asked him why why did you do that and he said well if i take this money and plow it into the business i could take the money and i could just buy shoes with it and give them away and then that would be done it would be over i would have given away twenty thousand pairs of shoes but if i plowed into the business over a period of time the business grows we're going to give away millions and millions of pairs of shoes this is a young man with a a passion for knowing Christ and a passion for following him and a passion to do something with the gifts that God gave him. And we need to make room for young men and young women like that. Do you know that most young men and young women like that today are not coming to church anymore because the church isn't giving them the opportunity to do things like that and to stretch and to grow and to try things? We have, to, we have to sometimes just stop doing some of the things that we're doing and then say, what do you guys want to do? How do you want to shape the future? It's not all about how we see it or the, the older way of seeing it. We've got to, if I could ask you for any investment right now this morning for the church, I would say make a gift to the church because the church needs to be a place where young people can come and change the world. I, I would even encourage you to go home and think about if you're really in on this deal, if you're really in on, in terms of how can we help young adults change the world, I want to make that happen. I want the church to be a place where that happens and make an investment in that so that hundreds and thousands of young people over the next 10, 20, 30 years can see their lives make an impact in the world because you saw that. And you invested in that. I want you to hear from Blake McCoskey just one more time. I think it's 
you know, young people, especially all around the world in this time period, you know, they, they want to have a voice. They want to do something that matters. They have the passion, but it's not always easy. You know, they're not going to, uh, you know, they can't all go on a missions trip or they can't, you know, financially they can't afford to make a big donation or something. And so, you know, they're going to buy a canvas pair of shoes. It might be a, a Converse or a Vans or now a Tom's. And so we give them a very simple thing to do, and that is to buy a pair of shoes, and they know that another child, not that different than them, somewhere in the world, is going to get a pair. And so we make it really easy for them to act, to be part of something, to do something that matters. But then, as importantly, we give them the opportunity to, to in a sense, kind of you know, show the world you know, what their value system is. It becomes part of their identity, I think. I meet you know, 12, 13-year-old, 14-year-old kids all the time, and they, they, they tell me about how they wear their toms to school every single day, and then they love it when people ask about them because then they get to tell the story. Yeah. And I see the passion in their eyes, and it gets me so excited because I think that purchase and that, them wearing the toms is just a, a beginning for much greater things that they're going to do in their lives to come, and, and it's super cool. It is super cool. It is super cool. So go to toms.com, take a look at the shoes. If you buy a pair of shoes, a kid somewhere, someplace who's running around without shoes is going to get a pair of shoes because you bought a pair of shoes. But the exciting thing is that this is a young guy who saw something and he did something. And we've got to make room so that the younger generation can see things and do things. And I would like our church to really be committed to that in some big ways and some new ways, some ways that we haven't even thought about yet. The second clip I want to show you was Bill Hybels. Bill just uh, put a book out called The Power of a Whisper, Hearing God Having the Guts to Respond. And during the, the Global Leadership Summit Thursday and Friday, it shot to number four on the Wall Street Journal's bestseller list. I'm looking forward to reading it on my summer vacation. He talked about something that I think we really need to pay a lot of attention to, and I'm simply gonna call this here to there. Kind of a fundamental of leadership. And the idea is leaders move people from here to there. Oh, was I glad that I knew that. Leaders move people from here to there. I wrote that down just like that in my journal. Now, this much I know about leadership. You must be able, if you're a leader, you must be able to stand in front of a group of three or 30 or 300 or 30,000, whatever number of people you lead. But you have to be able to say, gang, we are here, current reality, but someday, by God's grace, if we link arms, if we focus and sacrifice, if we work and persevere, we are going to wind up there, this preferred future. And we will all love life when we get there. The world will be a better place. Our organization will be stronger. Our church will be more like Acts chapter 2 churches. But I was writing in my journal that day, and I said, this much I know. Leaders move people from here to there. Now, the advanced among us right now are saying, Bill, you're just talking about the vision thing. You're just talking about the need to stand in front of people and paint a picture of the future 
that produces passion in people. You do that and off you go, right? How tough is that? In recent years, I've learned it's a little tougher than I really thought it was over the years. In fact, I used to think that the very first step in moving people from here to there was simply describing how wonderful life would be if we were all there. I would cast as hot a vision as I could about what being there would look like, taste like, feel like, smell like. I'd walk off this very stage, if it went well, spike my Bible over there. <laughs> Expect the board and the staff to carry me on their shoulders out in the parking lot. But then, almost every time, within 24 hours, of the best vision casting I could do, I would get an alarming number of emails from good people, good people, who would say in so many words, hey, Bill, we like it here. <laughs> there, schmear. <laughs> We're not going to budge. It's familiar here. It's safe here. We're used to it here. We're staying here. Now, has that ever happened to anybody other than me? Okay, well, what do you do when people say, I'm staying here? Well, I do what most of us do. I crank up the heat of the vision another 500 degrees. I stand up the following week and say, hey, you know, last week I said that life would be wonderful when we get there. Uh, I undersold it. It's going to be fantastic when we get there. Paradise, bliss on a stick when we get there. Bliss on a stick when we get there. Um, this is where, you know, I, I just have to share with you uh, what I feel when I see something like this. I feel like, man, that's where I live all the time. We're here. We got to go there. And then sometimes I get the same emails. We like it here. We're not going there. And, and you can talk about that, and it's kind of nice to, to, to listen to what life could be or what ministry could be, but right now it's safe here. And we're always living in that tension of here to there. But I have to be honest, over the next couple of months, you're going to hear a lot about here to there because you can never stay here. Here really isn't safe. Here really isn't enough. Here really doesn't end up satisfying your soul. If, if I wanted to stay here, I wouldn't have gone on the trip to Africa with the other folks from the church. We wouldn't have done what I got to share with you last week. It would have been a lot easier to stay here. But getting there is, is what this whole adventure is about. And so be, be fairly warned. You know, we're going to talk about what's here and what's there and how we get from here to there because staying here isn't enough. It's not going to work. The third clip, third clip, uh, brought one of my favorite world leaders into focus. I really looked forward to this session. Uh, Jack Welch. Jack Welch wrote a book called Winning that I, I read and talked to you about probably five years ago, four or five years ago. It changed a lot of my perspectives on leadership. It's a phenomenal book. It's not a Christian book by any means, but it cuts through the mustard. It gets to the heart of business relationships. 
and uh, social relationships and what it takes to get things done. And, and it, we had it in the bookstore here on Thursday and Friday. I would highly, highly recommend that you grab this book and that you read it. But here Jack is being interviewed by Bill Hybels and he gets to the one of the most controversial parts of his philosophy of business. He was the, the CEO of General Electric for so many years, uh, looked at as one of the great CEOs in modern history. And th this is a concept that he calls differentiation. Uh, upon first reading, uh, a lot of people will say uh, that's just a heartless way yeah. to, to treat people, to, to, to differentiate them and to actually treat them differently. But you feel otherwise. I feel it's the kindest way, and I'll try and explain. Somebody asked me about the Red Sox versus Tampa Bay and the Yankees. Do you think they differentiate? Do you think sports teams differentiate at all? Uh, and uh, generally speaking, do the teams with the best players who work as a team best win? Okay. Is winning good? <laughs> I mean, just take that simple example and translate it to business. Business is a game, too. You're competing with other people in business for a share of the pie. You don't want to make the pie bigger all the time, but you're competing for a share of it. Uh, it doesn't, but you can't have a differentiated organization without having candor as the foundation of the organization. Because you've got to have an appraisal system that isn't that phony appraisal system that occurs in most organizations. In most organizations, you walk into a new group and you see a set of appraisals. Everybody's highly qualified. Everybody. Everybody's fully satisfactory. Doesn't do anybody any good at all. They don't know what they should be doing versus what they're doing. They don't know anything. They don't learn anything from the experience. So if you get candor, and you drive it in, and you get an appraisal system that encourages a conversation between you and me that lets me know where I stand. See, I don't think any leader, any leader in any organization can ever go to work and have people working for them that don't know where they stand. I, I believe that to my toes. So if you believe that, everybody knows where they stand. So when the time comes for 20, 70, 10, I would bet that most organizations would draw the same 20, 70, 10 you would, plus or minus, from the top, from the bottom. In other words, people in the organization no. know who the top people are, they know who the middle people are, they know who's not carrying Is their weight. Is that true in a church? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Same way everywhere. In any organization, you can draw the curve. So the fact that it's done isn't cruel. Now, how do you handle it? In most places, people spend more time trying to fix the bottom. Oh, Mort and Mary, trying to get them to be better. Mort and Mary can't get better. <laughs> so in your organization, now take Mort and Mary and put them somewhere else. And they might fit beautifully in another company. They, their culture might be good. They might be happier. But get them out of your place and don't waste your time on them. And you don't do it with a shotgun or go yeah, in one day no, understand. you give them a soft landing and you give them a chance to move on but say look in the next year we're going to have we're going to have an appraisal you can't be in the bottom 10 again you've got to be out of here we'll help you we'll give you the help you need but you got to get out of here you don't belong here and they know it yeah. 
They, they were hoping you wouldn't bring it up. <laughs> it's not a big surprise if you've got a candidate appraisal system. Because yeah, no, you've been telling them. Yeah. All right, that's candor. That's let's deal with reality. Now, to get ready for this event here this morning, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of time to edit all this stuff. This is, this is hard stuff to get done. It takes hours and hours and hours just to prepare for, you know, I'm showing about 17 minutes of stuff. It takes hours, an inordinate amount of time to get this stuff right. Hey, the guy who did this, I didn't ask him to do it. He came in the other night at midnight, at midnight, worked till 5.30 in the morning to get it done. And he said to me, I did it because I knew you needed it. I didn't have to ask him to be a team player because in his heart, he's already a team player. Now, you can go back and you can look at almost every single case in the history of an organization, a business, and a church, and when people are coming and going, you're dealing with the same issue all the time. And sometimes in the church, we want to be loving, forgiving, and all that stuff because we think that, that that's what God wants all the time. It's not what God wants all the time. Sometimes God wants people to learn a lesson and move on. And we get to bless them with that idea. And that's, that's hard. That's the tough side of leadership. That's the tough call of leadership. You see, you've got to deal with this stuff. If you don't deal with this stuff, you have ineffective ministry. If you don't deal with this stuff, your business goes down the tubes. And so every year at GE, the bottom 10% who weren't performing, who had bad attitudes, who weren't getting it done, they were gone. And the middle 70% were told, if you want to get to the top 20%, this is how you get there. And the top 20% were given great rewards for doing their jobs and for getting the stuff done. And that's the only way it works. And when Jack talked about, you know, do baseball teams do that? I've always thought that way. You've got to put the right people in the right places for the right reasons to give yourself a chance to win, to do something that's great. And it, it works that way in the church. It worked that way for Jesus with the disciples. It just works that way. Let me show you something from Jim Collins. But before I, I show this to you, let me explain the Stockdale Paradox. He talked about the Stockdale Paradox. Uh, this, this gentleman was shot down over Vietnam in 1967. And I believe it was Major Stockdale. And he, from 1967 to 1974, he was a prisoner of war. And he survived incredibly well mentally through that time and almost to a degree that was beyond comprehension. And so this, this tremendous business thinker, Jim Collins, asked him about that, and he said, who didn't survive? And Major Stockdale said, the optimists didn't survive. The optimists didn't survive. Because they always felt like, come Christmas, we'll be home. And Christmas would come, and they wouldn't be home. And they'd say, well, next Christmas, will be home, and next Christmas would come, and they weren't home. He was in from 67 to 74. Think about what you were doing.
from 67 to 74. This guy was a prisoner of war in Hanoi. He said this, he said, what you have to remember is you can't confuse faith and facts. He said, it was my faith that allowed me to survive, an unshakable faith that someday I'd be going home. But the facts were that I was a prisoner of war, and, and right now, I'm stuck. I'm not going anywhere. And he didn't allow himself to think beyond the, the brutal facts of his imprisonment, and yet he held on to the faith that he had in a God who someday was going to get him home. He said, you've got to hold on to both sides of that and put those things together, and that's the way that you will survive some of the toughest things in your life. And then Jim Collins waxed eloquent as he read from the last part of his book, How the Mighty Fall. And so I will close with the close of How the Mighty Fall. If you truly set out to be useful, you can never capitulate. Never give in. Never, ever, ever, ever. The path out of darkness begins with those exasperatingly, exasperatingly persistent individuals who are constitutionally incapable of capitulation. It is one thing to suffer a staggering defeat, as will likely happen to every enduring business, every social enterprise, and every person and entirely another to give up on the values and aspirations that make a protracted struggle worthwhile. Be willing to change tactics, but never give up on your core purpose. Be willing to kill failed ideas, to even to shutter huge operations you've been in for a long time, but never give up on the idea of building a great church. Be willing to embrace the inevitability of creative destruction, but never give up on the discipline to create your own future. Be willing to embrace loss, to endure pain, to temporarily lose freedoms, but never give up in the faith and the ability to prevail. Be willing to form alliances with former adversaries, to accept necessary compromise, but never ever give up on your core values. Thank you very much. And so what, what Jim Collins reminded us of, and he's, he goes all over the world with this message, is no matter what happens, don't give up. Don't give up on the mission. Don't give up on what God's called you to do and become. Don't ever give up. Don't let yourself get so discouraged by the facts that you lose track of the faith that is getting you where God wants you to go in the first place. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The last very short clip is by T.D. Jakes one of the most famous pastors in the nation, and he brought a reality into focus right at the end. That's that idea I opened with about how sometimes we feel a little bit worn out by this thing called life.
as you close out this conference, I wish I could tell you that you're always going to be motivated and you're always going to be on fire, but you won't. I wish I could tell you that nobody's going to get on your nerves, but they will. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that everything you projected and planned is going to turn out the way you want to, but it won't. I wish I could tell you how to deal with not only the mountains and the valleys, but the, the nothingness and the blandness of in-between. I wish I could tell you that you weren't going to encourage other couples and go home and have arguments and help other people with their children and go home and say, I can't believe you acted like this in school today. There will be all of those days. But when you find yourself running low and your fuel tanks are blinking and your smile is a little bit phony and your feet are a little bit tired, What you have that people who don't have faith do not have. You have a God to whom you can turn and say, help me so I can help them. And give me passion so I can give them passion. And give me fire so I can pass it on. As we close, whether you're watching in the overflow or here or watching by video or all the technological opportunities that exist today. All that you've heard means nothing. If you run out of gas, you run out of strength, and you become just like the waiters, yeah, yeah, what do you want? We got a yeah, yeah, what do you want church? We got a yeah, yeah, what do you want situation? Those churches wither, those ministries wither, but those that are passionate and those that are effective remain. What do you do when you wish you had somebody to encourage you after you encourage other people? i tell you what I do. When my heart is overwhelmed, I go to the rock that is higher than me and say, Lord, my smile is getting phony and my grin is getting tired and I, I feel like the cow gone commercial take me away. And since you won't let me off and you won't let me off the hook and I got to go back out there and do that same thing again, even when I don't feel like doing it, renew my strength, increase my faith, and send me out there and I will do it again. That's reality. When you're tired and you got to keep going, when, uh, when life kind of beats you up a little bit and you got you to get it done tomorrow, there's a God that you can look straight in the eyes and ask for strength and ask for hope and ask for something amazing because he loves you and he's there for you. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose hearts. Because we have been called to do something great. And I'm excited about what God is gonna do in this church as we get ready to start a whole new year of life and ministry together. We're here.
we're going there.